Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of March 30th. I'm your host, D. Swab Derek Kessinger, joined, as always, by the editorial staff of future Hall of Famer Todd Turner, Notes Master Kevin Kovac, and Big Shot Bob Robert Holman. Guys, March Madness is winding down, and we are about to be full steam ahead going into April. But first, this past weekend, we had plenty of racing. The big winners, obviously, were Chris Madden and Chris Ferguson. Kovac, pretty wild to see two 50K winners in March, much less the same weekend. Yeah, back-to-back days, 50 grand. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great, that's a great March. Not many guys could say they've done that. I'll, has anybody done it in March? I guess or other than last year, I guess, with uh, Jonathan Davenport, winning the 50 grand uh, on the one night at, at Bristol. Uh, that's a great way to start a season. Throw you out to push yourself out to for Ferguson and Madden. Get fifty grand in their pockets uh, uh, before they even barely barely the start of spring here. And yeah, that's a that's a great springboard into the season uh, for for both of those guys, and especially for uh, for that Chris Madden because he gave up a weekend at Cherokee Speedway, like his backyard, his home track for ten thousand and twenty thousand dollar races at a with the World of Outlaws and the points lead, a great chance for him to win the World of Outlaws point title this year. He gave that up because he was going to go. He's going to like, well, you know, let's let, let's go for the money. And if you're going to do that, you better win the money. And, and Chris Madden did. So uh, he made a good choice uh, right off the bat. Yeah, great choice by Chris Madden. And Robert, Madden's won polls before, North, South, Cedar Lake. How big was that win for Chris Ferguson? Because he's been knocking at the door for a big payday, and he finally got it at Bristol on Saturday. It was uh, it was definitely a, a it's a big deal for anybody, whether or not you've won a fifty thousand dollar win race or not. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big deal. It's gonna be a a a boon to your your you know pocketbook as you move forward and kind of uh, budget your stuff for for the season, but for uh, you know, Chris Ferguson, a family-owned team, you know, and, and like he told me there in the in the media center afterwards, a lot of people didn't know that, you know, that's his only race car right now. His other car is not, not really ready. He's got a motor to pick up. You know, that, that's a big deal aside from the prestige for a, a family-owned team, even though he's got wonderful sponsors and, and I'm not going to say plenty of help, but a, a, a lot of help that, that kind of – get him on the road and, and keep him going. But financially, it's just a, it's just a, a relief, uh, you know, to know that you've got that now. It's like you've, you budget your season whether or not you're going to win that race or not. You budget your season and say, okay, I'm going to go to this race and I'm going to, you know, guaranteed, you know, probably to come out of that weekend with $5,000 in the two, the two races. That's guaranteed pretty much. But to win that kind of money, it's just, I'm sure it's just a burden off of him, both financially and just the competitive spirit, just uh, uh, say, hey, yes, I can do this. I can close the deal. And I finally did it. It was it was really big. And, and you know, he was asked about they, they give the winners a, um, a sword and he was asked about uh, uh, that. And Chris Ferguson has always been one of those people who have given away trophies. I don't know if people even know that about him, but he gives away a lot of trophies. And it's something that he said his mom 
uh, instilled in him and taught him from the very beginning, from the go-kart days. And, uh, and he said, that's one of those trophies that does not get given away. You know, he's the sword from the, the, his $10,000 win and the prelim feature last year, it's beside his bed. And uh, now he's got another one. He said he might, he might cross them up and, and put them in, on top of the, hang them above the, the television or something, you know, and, and a big X or something. But, but it, it's very special, you know, to these, to both guys and especially to Chris Ferguson to finally just get that kind of that burden off of him uh, and, and now move forward. Uh, especially, you know, now he's moving forward to like a, big races at Eldora and stuff where we've kind of tabbed Chris Ferguson as an underdog or as a dark horse winner. Now he might go into some of those bigger races as a favorite, you know, it's that kind of a deal for, for a driver like, like Chris Ferguson. Yeah. Maybe you can use those swords. If a robber comes in and tries to take some things, he can kind of go uh, Kung Fu on them old school, medieval times and use the swords on them. So uh, congrats to Chris Ferguson. Big-time win. Like you said, he's been knocking at the door at Eldora, north-south. He's been very, very close. So good to see him win that uh, big-time payday. And Todd, the veteran, Chris Madden, does he have a shot to be driver of the year? Because I've seen him dialed in in the past. He's gone on these hot streaks. But seems like he's very determined here early in 2022. Yeah, he is one of those guys that's gotten on hot streaks throughout his career. And I think uh... – you know, it, it remains to be seen whether this season's going to be one of them, but that's obviously a good start. Um, I, I guess a big part of it would be how things turn out this coming weekend, uh, you know, with two two more $50,000 paydays available, and even maybe maybe uh, more important for all these guys is a $100,000 uh, championship for the single track points uh, among a $300,000 points fund for this deal. So, those are, that's a tight chase. Jonathan Davenport is leading, but uh, uh, Madison, Madden, Ferguson, McDowell, those other guys are right in there uh, for that too. So, so there's more big money on the line uh, this weekend. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, really, by, after Friday's race, it'll really be out there Saturday of who needs to do what to clinch that uh, points money and who uh, who possibly maybe if Madden, Madden and Ferguson could win another $50,000. It would be uh, it'd be a big deal. Lot, lots of money on the line. Yeah, just like you said, two fifty thousand to win, plus the $100,000 points fund, which I believe Jonathan Davenport is leading currently. Um, moving on, Cherokee, little concerns. Maybe the car count was going to be down, Kevin Kovac, but we had 40 late models there. And like Robert said last week on the show is, hey, this is a good thing because we're going to have maybe first-time winners. Michael Brown wins Friday. Max Blair's won the World of Valor race, but a big $20,000 paycheck is pretty solid at a track, you know, he probably doesn't have many laps on. It's just kind of a – first, let's talk about Michael Brown, big-time win for him on Friday. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see a, a new guy win. Uh, downtown Michael Brown, the Carolina class champion. Uh, he goes in there, and it's, it's another South Carolina driver too. I mean, there's a South Carolina driver, Ben Watkins, last year won his first uh, ever World of Outlaws race uh, late in the season. Chris Madden, he won the World of Outlaws race at the last one that had been run uh, at uh, at Volusia in February. And Michael Brown pops in and and, and runs a flawless race to to get the win. And, and you can see that and how much it means to a driver to win a national tour race when Brown got out of that race car and was celebrating on his roof and just became a new father 
his wife uh, just had a baby uh, a few weeks ago, you know, very, very short time. It's his first race that he'd run uh, as a father. So uh, that made it a little extra special too. And he, he's a good guy. He's always, it's like a, he's a good guy to talk to when you see him in the pits and um, just a friendly, uh, friendly dude. Um, good to see him get a win. A uh, little bit different, uh, you know, a little different uh, flavor, I guess, because you, you see a, a regional guy uh, beat the, the touring regulars and then Max Blair went in on, on, uh, on Saturday night. I mean, that shows, uh, I, I mean, Max did say, he goes, I think that he wasn't going to be able to beat Brandon Shepard. If Shepard doesn't get tangled up in a lap car with, uh, when he tangled up with uh, Brent Larson while leading the race, uh, you know, before the halfway point. And then uh, Max took over and, and, uh, and led the rest of the way. But Max, I mean, just, just being in that position to be able to win that race, would have been great because this is a rookie, yeah, brand uh, a rookie on the national tour. He's very accomplished, obviously. Wins a lot of races up in the Northeast uh, around his Western PA home, but uh, hasn't been able hasn't been on the road and uh, and run all over the place like he is now this year with the Viper Motorsports team. But and I know Sean Martin, the owner of Viper Motorsports, is uh, he's has full confidence in Max, and he keeps saying if Max gets his time. He gets his time to be able to, to get the experience. He will be up there. He's that kind of driver. He just needs to be able to get laps out on these different tracks, build a notebook. And you saw at East Bay, he ran there a few nights, was up front at the, towards the end of it. Volusia ran there, struggled a few nights. Mid-pack, you know, end of the week, he was up front. Uh, and so I, I guess it wouldn't be a surprise now that he's able to show that he's uh, – he can run at a different racetrack, a track he's not familiar with, and be a contender, and uh, and that's good for the world of outlaws. They need some, uh, you know, they just lost Chris Madden now, who is uh, going to be a contender for the championship. Max Blair, he steps up as a rookie. I mean, he's a, an exp he's very experienced rookie in, in number of races and wins. Uh, if he could make that uh, become a contender, all a season long contender, make five, six, seven wins, that would be a that'd be a a boon for the world of outlaws to have a new, uh, and be another star that they would be creating. Robert, you're a fortune teller because you basically called it. You're going to say, "Hey, these newbies, uh, up and comers. Yes, they've both been there. Michael Brown, especially in his first, you know, national touring win. I mean, how impressed were you by both those uh, victories by both those drivers? And I feel like maybe too, Max Blair has a sense of relief because he's like, finally, I went a race track." Outside my region, like Kobach alluded to, you know, a track I've never really had laps on. That's a big time win, I feel like, and it's going to give them so much confidence moving forward. I, I really think with a uh, a guy like Mike, Max Blair, and I've I've said this before, and I've written you know things about this before. A guy like Max Blair to to come in somewhere and not have confidence blows absolutely blows my mind. You know, I know that it's kind of the traveling thing nationally is is new to him. But man, this is a cat that wins races a lot. Like Kevin said, a lot of races. He is used to winning a lot of races, and not just he doesn't go and win forty races at one track. He wins at five, six, seven, eight tracks. You know, up in his region, and you can't tell me that there's something up there that doesn't compare to Cherokee. I know Cherokee. You know, they might not all be, you know, the kind of place that your mama warns you about, but but 
it's got to, there's got to be places up there that kind of remind him of Cherokee, you know, and, and then he's going to lean on some other people with some notes and stuff. So, so for Max Blair to get a win like that is not a surprise to me at all because he's a talented guy. He's got good financing behind him. He's got as good equipment as anybody else. So that's not a, not a shock. Uh, and the same thing, uh, you know, with, with, um, Friday's winner, you know, you have a, a great regional driver who is protecting his home area, you know, and these guys have good equipment as well. Uh, so it's, it's, they're not lacking in the equipment, uh, area. They're just lacking maybe in some of the experience area, getting racing against that kind of competition. And, you know, the kind of, the kind of competition that they race against week in and week out is, is not bad. You know, I mean, think about, um, you know, when you look at the competition in that area that Michael Brown has to race against, it's, it's not bad. Chris Madden alluded or told me up there that, you know, when he raced coming up, raced at Cherokee, he felt like he was racing against the best in the business. He felt, you know, you had Mike Duvall and, Buck Simmons and that that area has historically produced good racers. So for Michael Brown to protect his home area and to win a World of Outlaws race, not really a shock, you know, because he's got great equipment. He's a proven racer. It's just a matter of for a guy to win like that, you have to overcome, you know, overcome your jitters. You know, it's just like um I was watching a replay, uh, uh, I guess highlights of a uh, girls basketball tournament game last night where you had, uh, I guess it was the NC State coach talking about how uh, he his team was not um, worried about the team they were playing having UConn across their, their chest, you know, having UConn. They were playing UConn. And I thought to myself, well, coach, you were ranked number one, you're seated number one and UConn was seated number two. Why would they be worried? And it's kind of the same thing about, about a Michael Brown type driver. When these guys come to town, you're good enough to compete with these guys. So why would you be worried when they come to your area? So, you know, if you get over that, when you line up beside a, a Brandon Shepard or, or one of these guys, of course, you're going to look and see, Ooh, take a deep breath while wow, I'm sitting beside sitting beside Sheppy here. You know, I got to get down in to get, get in this corner and make sure that I, I, you know, get a good start and then just hit my marks. That's really all it takes. Go down there, get in the corner first, hit your marks. And, and he ran a, like Kevin said, or, or Todd alluded to, he ran a flawless race and, uh, and I was very impressed. So, uh, I'm not all. I'm not shocked when these really talented regional drivers upset, so to speak, the the national tours. It doesn't shock me at all anymore because, just as we've discussed, the parity in this sport is incredible right now. You know, there's a there's a lot of good teams out there. Yeah, and we've seen it in the past. Maybe this will uh, give Michael Brown a huge boost of confidence, which I'm sure he already had. But knowing he's like, we can come in here when the big boys come in defend our turf, win these regional races, and maybe we can see him have a career year. So it's good to see Michael Brown win. All right, Todd, when we paint the picture of Cherokee, what are some final thoughts, A and B, 
how shocked were you that Brandon Shepard made that big time mistake? Oh my goodness, Brandon! It, it was really one of those things where it just you know it looked like he was trying he was kind of maneuvering through traffic and trying to get him around Larson. Larson kind of went up just a little bit, and it, that's all it took to make a little contact. And you know, at Cherokee, you, you know, you don't want to be you know at the speeds there and the way you, when you're usually trying to stay on the bottom, you don't want to be making contact with with anybody. So that was, uh, yeah, I'm sure Brandon hates it, but I think it was just, you know, just a little bit, you know, they were in the same place at the same time at the most inopportune time for him. So, um, yeah, and I think Blair, uh, as he mentioned, uh, and Kevin mentioned, he, he knew he was racing for second if if Shepard was going to stay out there. Um, one guy I noticed that, that, that caught my eyes, Ryan Gustin, who really, has been just lousy in World of Outlaws racing until this weekend. Uh, he ran up front, led some laps in the first night, um, and then in the second night he passed more cars than I guess about anybody else, or at least those in contention, and looked pretty good. So um, I, I'm keeping an eye on Ryan. I, he, again, I think I've talked about before, he's a guy that I just keep waiting for him to kind of break out or kind of get into his groove. And uh, Cherokee's not an easy place. I mean, I think. Uh, Blair for Blair to to do so well there and Gustin to do so well there I think speaks well of those guys because uh, uh, Cherokee's one of those places where those guys that have raced there for a long time like Ross Bales and Michael Brown and and some of those local guys they they know how uh, uh, they know how it works when it gets the rubber on the track there it's, it can be a little tricky to deal with and I think Max Max kind of learned that a little bit the first night when he when he lost the lead. Uh, and the second night, he handled it much better and and and, um, and took home $20,000. So, uh, yeah, pretty uh, – an interesting weekend. Uh, Dennis Herb, we, we haven't talked about him, but Dennis Herb leads as the, the World Outlaws points leader, uh, in part thanks to Shepard's uh, spin. But uh, but Herb had a couple of good runs. He was fourth and sixth. So, uh, an interesting World of Outlaws weekend there at Cherokee. And they'll go back at it uh, – at Farmer City uh, this coming weekend. And Kovac, shameless plug here, your boy Eckert, big time win at Williams Grove. You still got it. Yeah, maybe I was going to save that for my one more thing, so I guess I got to get another one now. I might have mentioned him, but yeah, Rick, Rick Eckert, uh, he comes out uh, the second weekend of racing uh, up in the Northeast, and he got his uh, got his win at Williams Grove. Uh, he, beat, he turned the tables on Greg Satterley. Satterley beat him the week before. And then this week, uh, Ecker comes back and beats Satterley. I guess he cut the car up pretty good. I mean, he was like, man, he was he was changing all kinds of stuff, trying to get a couple more, uh, get a little more speed out of his car over the over the week after he didn't come out really straight, real strong. I mean, you know, didn't come out with the win that he wanted the first weekend. And uh, you know, that, I mean, that was the first time that uh, at Eckert ran a late model this year. And remember, I mean, I don't know if everybody even like real realized it, but Eckert ran a modified down at. Uh, and, and during speed weeks, he ran at Screven one night. Uh, that's that first that one weekend, and he also ran a a few times. Uh, there wasn't many races that got in because of the, the bad conditions down there at Volusia, but he did run a, a several. The nights he could run, he ran down there. That was the first time he'd ever been in a modified uh, in his career, and he and he started uh, at speed weeks in the in the car. So that was uh, kind of under the radar a little bit that Rick Eckert was in a modified. I remember seeing a picture of him. At Screven standing next to, you know, somebody tweeted that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm parked next to my hero, Rick Eckert. And I'm like, 
I'm looking at the fin. I'm like, where's Rick? Rick Eckert is not in this late model field. What? What is? What is he? What do you mean? Why? How is Rick Eckert there? Where? What's this picture from? And then I, uh, you know, got the word that he was in a modified. That was kind of weird. I never. I didn't know that he was running one. So, uh, but yeah, congratulations to Rick for his Williams Grove win in his backyard. He's everyone's hero. Come on now, Kovac. Just not that one guy, Eckert. Uh... The youngest looking grandpa in the history of the world. I will agree with that. Uh, he's a uh, hasn't aged one bit. And going back to Bristol, which by the way has one of the best media centers, media centers I've ever been to. Robert and Kovac could both confirm this. They feed you easy access to the infield. It's truly remarkable. You look outside and see all those stands. You're like, dang, this is pretty badass. And usually at those big time events, we also see at Eldora and a few others. There's always a few non-savvy dirt late model media members aka not really late model uh people they uh kind of work for those uh mainstream i'm using air quote uh outlets whether it could be a local affiliate stuff like that todd you've been covering this sport for a long long time how often does this happen when we have like kind of i'll call them outsiders coming into dirt late model racing you see it maybe a little more with the local news affiliates trying to do a story or something yeah, well, I, I'll let, late, later on, I'll let Robert talk about it. He, he had some good stories about some of those guys there. But, yeah, I think in our sport, we're kind of uh, under the radar. And so many times the mainstream media, you know, newspaper reporters or television stations, they, they don't even come out. But often when you see those, those folks at the track, uh, it tends to be somebody that drew the short straw, like the summer intern or – the new, the new guy on the TV station or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, and Derek, I think you, you've seen this before, you know, you kind of take pity on those people a little bit because they walk out there and they have no idea what, what they're supposed to do and what, who's important and who the good drivers are and how this even works. So a lot of times, as a matter of fact, I mostly remember this at the Macon Herald and Review 100 because that newspaper is long sponsored that race at Macon. So they always send a reporter there. So I, I kind of I went to that race so much that I would tend to like find the reporter on purpose and say, "Okay, here's the way it's going to work. Here's how it's going to go, and and here's why you're going to miss your deadline tonight because this might go too late." Well, I don't tell them that part, but um, you know, to try to coach them to, "Hey, you could write on write about this driver or what this means or or how this works." Uh, and you know, it's it's kind of the 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 problem that our sport has you know we need mainstream media but it's it's a tough sport to just jump into and know what you're you know what what you want to cover and really you want to steer those people toward people stories you know like hey you want to you know do a story about this guy because um you know what whatever it is some some more people angle of it so they don't have to try to figure out the the tech technical stuff about racing and whatever but uh you know, I've seen it done well, uh, and I will mention this. You know, we've had we, you know, Lindell Scranton there in Missouri, uh, Thomas Pope in North Carolina. There are a number of reporters out there that get it and do well and write good stuff uh, about dirt late models. And, man, if you got that in your area and you're a promoter, you want to link on to those people. As a matter of fact, Lucas Oil Speedway did hire Lindell Scranton after he uh, uh, quit his regular newspaper job because – uh, people that know the sport and can put words together like that or have a savvy about the sport, you know, that's that's a golden opportunity because because in many cases, as we mentioned, you know, uh, you have these reporters who don't get it 
and uh, don't understand it. And for the most part, you're not going to get good coverage in cases like that. But uh, but Robert's story from Britzel about some of the questions in the press conference, I was getting a, a kick out. Yeah, Robert. So you're a guy that's done the newspaper. You've been in the mainstream media. You've done both sides, work fully in dirt late model racing or, you know, doing other sports, uh, you know, when you're earlier in your career. So, uh, yeah, I got to hear these stories. Like when you hear them, newbies coming in because you've been there before, maybe it was just for a different sport that you maybe didn't know completely about it. How was that when the roles were reversed this past weekend at Bristol and some of the questions they were asking? You know, I, I kind of got a, a kick out of it uh, because I'm I'm sitting there. First of all, I, want, I asked myself this morning when we were kind of tossing around this topic, I asked myself, you know, are, are we snobs? You know, are we that cover our sport? Are, are, are we dirt late model snobs? And I like to think that that we're not. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't get a chuckle sometimes when we hear a question. And, and you know, when I was in the media center um, this over this past weekend, uh, if you're not watching the race or don't understand the race, you don't really oh man, you don't really know what to ask, you know? And, and so there were, there were media members up top, um, uh, up like that probably never came down to the pit area. And this one person, I do not remember where he was from, uh, but he asked every single driver the exact same question. He, he wanted them to compare the track from last year to this year. And every time they threw the mic to him, that is the question he asked. So, okay, keep in mind, they bring the top three drivers from every feature, you know, to, to the media center. So these guys had only heard the question once, but I'd heard it nine times. So at that point, you know, it's just kind of humorous to me that it, and the thing is, this guy might have been on writing some kind of expose about he might have been assigned this question, this this topic. So it's definitely not not his fault. It's just, it was just funny to me that that was the question, the, the only question that he asked. So it, it's, it, you know, it's it, he could have easily been writing a story and that was his main focus. And that is his only focus, because I've asked drivers the exact same question. Often, I think we all probably have uh, throughout our careers, we've gone from driver to driver and asked them the same question because we have a focus and that's what we're working on. So, so that's completely, you know, understandable. And I think a lot of times that drivers kind of look at us like kind of crazy, like, my God, what are you asking that question for? And I just kind of jotted this down. You know, it's like a lot of times when we ask questions, we already know the answer. We know what we know what we just need to hear you say it. We need as from we need as as reporters, we need to hear the driver say it because we need those quotes because it it just adds so much depth to the it adds depth to the story. It, it adds uh, it adds uh, character to the story because, you know, everybody doesn't talk speaking the same language. Uh, so it, it just adds so much when you hear the driver say stuff that we already know, but going back to, to Bristol, I kind of felt bad for, and, and by the way, the hot, you're right. Derek, I, I received great hospitality there. 
I received food. I was not hungry. Uh, they were very polite. I had a parking pass right up near the gate. It was a wonderful experience this weekend at Bristol. Kudos to them. But the lady that was running the media center, and God, I hope she doesn't hear this, but I, I it was very funny that, you know, she had to ask, it was her job with the microphone to di- basically direct things that were going on after, you know, the, the questions. So basically, you know, and you see this in a lot of, if you've covered sports, you see this, you have one person who is kind of the moderator, should ask questions, kind of like you're doing here for us today, Derek, but she, she would ask questions and then throw it up top and then ask if anyone else has any questions. And so a lot of times you have these street stock guys and, or somebody else and you know nobody's really writing stories about those guys so she asks a couple questions and then she throws it up top and the guy asks his question about the difference in the racetrack and then it comes back down and they've only been asked like one question so then she's kind of like standing there so basically she's like so what are you going to do with the what are you going to do with your sword what are you going to do with the trophy that's her question that's literally her question not it wasn't like how did you get the lead? It was, or, you know, it wasn't like, could you have used another caution questions like we might've asked, but it's like, what are you going to do with your sword? Now in her defense, I never ever would have known that Chris Ferguson kept his sword by his bed. Had she not asked that question, I would not have known it. I would not have known that there's a good chance he's going to hang his swords above his television crossed in case an intruder comes in if she hadn't asked that question. So it's not that they're bad questions at all because I, I, I use that information. We've discussed it here, but it's like they're very generic and, and they're very generic questions because they don't really get what's going on. Uh, and, and I'll let, uh, I know Kevin's dealt with the same stuff and I'll let his, uh, I'll let him, you know, comment about about some of his experiences. If uh, so, I'll quit talking for a minute, but uh, I can catch my breath. But let Kevin, you know, talk a bit and then come back to me, and I'll tell you about some of my experiences as a mainstream media member as well. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask, Kovac. You virtually, I know in college you did some other sports like uh, football and stuff like that. When you told me back in college, but I'm pretty sure your whole life in riding has just been in racing. So I feel like you might cringe a little bit more because that's what you're just used to when you have like maybe a new PR person for a certain uh, series that has never been in racing and stuff like that. I feel like maybe you cringe a little bit because that's all you know is racing. Well, yeah, I, I did do some, uh, you know, back in college for the college paper. I wrote about the, you know, basketball, football and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, those are sports that I obviously know anyway, you know, it's not like a, it's uh, uh, I was going into something I was totally new. But so many of these other reporters from a from a regular newspaper or a reporter from a television station, they come into a racetrack again, like like Todd said, they'll get like a they'll get an assignment and they are like they don't know, you know, I mean, in even in I know that that newsroom or whatever doesn't really know too much about the dirt track racing. Um, they, they just don't have the, the the background in it. They see everything. I, I know one thing that I've all, always noticed. Uh, I, I think I've seen this a little bit more because doing, doing the PR stuff that I did. I mean, I, when I was back at college, I did a, a summer 
uh, a PR work. Uh, I worked up at Lancaster Speedway in New York and Ranceville Speedway uh, uh, and did the whole, so I spent the whole summer there working that. And Lancaster was right near uh, uh, Buffalo. It was right outside of Buffalo, New York. And one of our, like, it was an asphalt track too, Lancaster. And, and, and one of our like goals for that summer, like, you know, like get the results on the, on the, on the uh, 11 o'clock news every week, uh, you know, uh, and on the local TV stations. And so that would, that would include that I'm faxing then. I mean, I was back in the, the mid nineties, had to fax it, you know, well, I didn't email it then. So but let, let's just say that. But, and, and one of the things that a lot of the, when I would send it in, uh the the track and when i would talk to the people in the newsrooms there they were always like well what is the main thing out there you know i mean i don't know you we we get these we've always been getting results from these racetracks and we we see five different winners and stuff i mean who's the guy that who's the guy that main guy that won you know what it's the main thing of the night they were confused about that they didn't real i mean they they're used to you know this is the team that won this is even in they they didn't cover the JV at uh in high school you know the high school basketball JV team they weren't being put in there the, all the varsity was that was the results that were put in the paper and here racetracks are sending the JVs and the you know basically with all the support divisions so I had to kind of school them on that and let them figure out like this is what the this is what really there's there, there's one main division that's what we're going to focus on I think they get confused about that and, and when I was a PR uh, you know, did the PR for the World of Outlaws too. Uh, Any time, I mean, it was like just like you can do see it now. I mean, when you see uh, a totally inexperienced reporter uh, to dirt track racing come in, you, you see them like they're like bewildered in the pits. I mean, I, I've seen it so many times, especially when I was the PR person, because I you, you might know that there was a, a local TV station or a local reporter coming in because you wanted that. I mean, you wanted that kind of. Uh, mainstream uh, to get the, the those people that might not see uh, information about this race. You want those guys to come, but they don't have somebody that knows what's going on at the dirt track and they come in and there we will. So I would, I'd almost make a beeline to them. I'm like, I mean, Hey, what do you, I, I could see that you're like a little bit overwhelmed by even where to start here uh, with all these race cars in the pits. I mean, there's the, I'd even had some times when there was a, uh, there would be a, a woman with high heels on in the pit area. And I'm like, oh, my God, this they they nobody gave her. I mean, she's going to break her ankle run, walking around the rocks in the pits uh, like this. So uh, I, they needed some. That's what the that's where a PR person like really is important for, to get the mainstream. They, they need you needed somebody with that person almost all night. I just I'd spend almost a whole all night sometimes with those reporters just to like get them, you know, get them uh, in the, in the right frame of mind and know what's going on. They didn't even know how a qualifying went or anything. And when was the main race? They were shocked that the main race wouldn't be until 10 or 11 o'clock. Uh, and it, it just, it, it would always, it, it would kind of chuckle about it because you'd see like how uh, clueless they were. But I mean, yeah, uh, you, you hope that you could catch them and make them want to come back like you know here steer them towards a good story here or uh or this is what you should be shooting go over here and shoot and get some footage and you know they, they really needed someone to help them and i remember a lot of them were like very appreciative all the time like well thanks so much for helping uh, because they got a heck of a tough assignment it wasn't like just going to the basketball the high school basketball game or or, or something like that that was always a always a tough thing for a 
a, a local reporter to come to a dirt track. Both of you guys had great points. I think mainstream media, when they come in, I think they do, they can help out with, you know, growing the sport with like special interest stories. You know, I think a lot of normal people that don't know racing care about that stuff. And I think the results part of it, people are like, for the most part, who cares, you know? So if you have like that, maybe previewing a big race in your area, like you said, Kevin, they'll have like a news reporter there saying, hey, come to this race, Farmer City, Line I 100, WMBD out of Champaign's always there doing a little story there. But Todd, we'll get back to Robert here in a second. Just the like two things that come to mind with mainstream media is my first two or three years, every year on the Summer Nationals, there's always some guys trying to do a documentary on the Summer Nationals. And they're running around. They have no idea what they're shooting. They don't realize what they're getting into, dirty equipment. They're trying to be professional, and they're kind of a root of awakening. And then the other thing is, how much do you remember of the CNN Dirt Track uh, Warriors? Because that was kind of a big thing for dirt late model racing that CNN did, you know, covering the World 100 with, like, Chubb Frank and Josh Richards and Scott Blomquist. Yeah, I remember at Eldora they had kind of – I guess they got the heads up that they were coming. I guess I didn't realize, and I'm not so sure it was for sure going to be on CNN when those guys were shooting it. But, but yeah, it turned out it turned out good. I thought. I mean, I thought they did a pretty good job of like captivating a little bit about you know what this sport is like. You know, for people who you know it's a little little dramatized and all that stuff. But but it was uh, it turned out pretty well. And I remember those guys shooting it. Um, and yeah, like like you said, those other people who try to shoot documentaries or try to come in there. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm like Kevin. You, I always just want to help people because I we want to put the sport in the best light as well. You know what? No matter what our role is, you know, if somebody's coming in there and and going to shoot video or going to tell some stories and that type of thing, uh, you know, you just want you just want to give somebody you know an idea of like, oh, here's some things you could do because that's what I would usually do is steer reporters toward. Uh, especially if they were a local guy. I'm like, people are going to want to read about the local guy. So don't go writing about some guy, you know, Billy Moyer. He's from Arkansas. Nobody, nobody in your town cares about Billy Moyer, you know, no offense. But, uh, but you know, pick pick out a good local guy that might have a good story or might be a good talker and just, you know, steer them that direction and, and that could give them some help. Uh, Robert, I guess, is going to talk about, you know, his when he was a, a, a sports editor and a worker. And I, I was more of a – in-house copy editor at the Owensboro, Kentucky newspaper. But I would help with some of the race coverage. Of course, I loved late models back then. And uh, so I would do do some stories. I do remember one time, maybe the first guy I ever called uh, for the Owensboro paper to do a story, and it was a bad choice, Kevin Claycomb. Now, I love me some Kevin Claycomb, but he is not a talker. So I'm, like, trying to drag anything out of him to do a preview for a local track there near Owensboro, Windy Hollow that was having a big race. And, uh, you know, I had probably like, you know, uh, six words of quotes from Claycomb, you know, like saying Windy Hollow, you know, probably just talking about how dusty it was or something. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, I don't know, Robert, Robert will have more, maybe more, uh, more uh, experience uh, being an assignment editor out there covering races uh, is working on the, on the mainstream media. Yeah, Robert, how uh, different of approaches was it for you when you're doing it for a regular newspaper? You're doing a general crowd, uh, readers, different stuff like that compared to like Dirt on Dirt where you just, you know, bleed dirt lay model racing. You kind of have to mix it up a little bit, I would say. Well, I remember when I was hired about a year after I graduated college to as a sports writer 
for the uh, News Tribune in LaSalle. You know, and honestly, one of the draws to me, uh, you know, to go to LaSalle was that they had a, a really good racetrack four miles from the office. And so I thought, you know, you've got LaSalle Speedway four miles from your office. They have big races come through. This is a big deal. And I, I get up there and I said, well, who covers, you know, who covers your racing for you? And they said, well, no one. And I'm like, I was kind of shocked, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? No one. They're like, well, we send a photographer out there, uh, but we have a, a lady whose husband, Mike Glenn, which Todd helped me remember that, uh, whose husband, Mike Glenn races there and she writes up a little report and sends it into us, you know, on Sundays and we put it in Monday's paper. This was a, a daily paper. I don't, we didn't publish a Sunday, but we published six days a week. So, you know, it was a really nice newspaper and really good coverage. We covered NFL sports, you know, because we weren't that far from Chicago. We covered all the major league stuff. And then we had like, I think a dozen, 10 or 12 high schools in our area that we covered. So this was a, a paper that had three sports guys and, and it was pretty in depth, but they didn't send anybody to the racetrack. So I was kind of shocked, you know. And, um, and so a photographer comes in and they're like, I remember a photographer came by. He's like, Hey, you know, I heard you like to go out to the, the racetrack. You understand that stuff. And I said, yeah. And they're like, Oh, good. Cause man, I hate going out there. I hate to get my shoes dirty. I'm like, Oh my God, what? You hate to get your shoes dirty. So that was their approach. Nobody wanted to go cause they didn't want to get their shoes dirty. So I went as often as I could. Of course, you know, I couldn't go to every race because I had other assignments, but I uh, definitely went to all the big ones and covered it. And then we relied on Betty Glenn to send us stuff. And fortunately, she could string together some sentences and uh, definitely understood the sport. And she uh, sent us stuff. And, and so that worked out really good at the LaSalle News Tribune. Um, you know, but then I, I left there, uh, went to work with Todd down at um, – uh, National Dirt Digest in North Carolina, stayed there briefly, and then then went to work for 14 years in Middle Tennessee. And I got to uh, the Tullahoma News, and there's a racetrack from Tullahoma to Winchester is like 16 miles. There's a racetrack. And then from Tullahoma to Shelbyville slash Lewisburg is about, eh, about a 25-minute drive out to the racetrack from there. There's a racetrack, Duck River. They didn't cover it. You know, racetrack 25 miles one way, 15 miles the other way. That they just didn't they didn't cover it. And they, and so at that point, uh I couldn't have, I couldn't go out there all the time either, uh, because of again, I was the only sports person at that paper. Uh, but I just uh I just kind of reached out to somebody and tried to start getting results, you know, and trying to put results in the paper. Uh, it's just uh, mainstream media and the people in the newsroom, you know, like you guys have talked about, people in the newsroom just look at you like you're crazy. They don't they don't want to go out there. They don't understand it. Um, now, I will say that, you know, Kevin was talking about, I don't want to offend anybody, but this is the truth. Kevin was talking about, uh, you know, following reporters around and they'd send a, a girl out there and she'd show up in high-heeled shoes and that sort of stuff. Well, one of the uh, television affiliates down in El when I was out at uh, Vado, 
this year, one of the television affiliates from uh, El Paso, you know, 15 minutes away in Texas there, uh, sent a reporter out, which is really awesome. And uh, she was dressed appropriately. And she had no problems getting help from anyone because she was an absolute smoke show. I have to go ahead and say that. That's, you know, kind of kind of a term that the kids use nowadays, you know. And so uh, she had no problem getting help from anyone at the racetrack. In the press box, everyone was willing to show show her around okay so if a if a newspaper is really interested in getting help maybe that's an approach they could take uh because uh she had i was eyewitness she had no problem getting help uh and i and back to bristol and back to some of your other comments uh, of got the kevin claycomb thing that i felt so bad for that woman asking questions after the 602 feature because all three of those guys that were in there were kids and they wouldn't stop talking. It was like romper room. They would. They were talking over each other, and one of them would be talking and answering a question, and the other one would interrupt them. You know, it's like, oh yeah, blah, and they were just making jokes. It was like it was terrible. And I'm like, guys, there. And she just had no. She had. She lost control of the room. She lost control. Of, it was. I felt bad for her because. And then when you asked them a question except the winner did really, really well, but the other two kids, God help. At one point she even told one of them, she goes, well, you'll get better at this. You know, I mean, it was, it was that, it was that bad. You know, I felt bad for her because she's trying to do her job and getting no cooperation from, from the other people. So that was a lot of times it's really tough. I mean, you, we don't, people don't understand that this is not the easiest thing, you know, that we do here. And again, like I said earlier, I hope we're, we're not snobs, but because we actually can string together a few sentences and we do for some crazy reason, love this sport. This just fits us, you know, and we understand it. You know, for instance, when I came home from Bristol, after I wrapped up all my Bristol stuff and did the few things that I need to do on Monday, I spent the rest of yesterday afternoon out in the shop, bending a, bending a, a body up, cutting out a new body and getting it ready for, for my own car. That would be completely lost on the mainstream media. You know, you guys understand it. Of course, that's what I did. So I definitely understand but the mainstream media. They don't, they don't get it they, at, at all. And so I do think that is up to us when we do see them to try to guide them and steer them in the right direction because it can only help our sport. We don't want them out talking about crazy stuff, you know, about, and, and you talk about one of the things at LaSalle about the way I had to write, you had to write your story for the mainstream media. I had to write my story like people had never seen a dirt late model before, almost like they didn't understand racing at all. You just have to be that basic when you're writing for that kind of, medium now we have we can be a little more liberal with what we write you know we can write stuff that and, and but you can't write you can't you couldn't use words for the mainstream media for that paper in, in LaSalle Illinois that in terms that people are not going to understand 
So there's there's no point in it. We we know there we use terms. Maybe that should be a, a something we publish at some point. You know, you know, don't you think, Kevin? I mean, I don't know. You know, yeah. maybe we should publish a word a, a list of words that people can understand. What do you think? Well, I, I know that like if you're writing for like a daily paper, you would not write. Uh, well, he was disqualified for failing the droop rule uh because nobody would know what the hell a droop rule is and uh you know if you're i, I mean I we, we can write it because people just you know our 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 uh readership they know sort of i mean they're into it they know what that means but man that the the droop rule is uh something that you wouldn't be uh talking about in a regular newspaper or, or on a, a re, any kind of report <laughs> that's not in a on dirt on dirt i guess uh that kind of stuff that's it you have to you have to cater your your word your language i guess to your audience so basically what i took from this last 20 minutes if you're good looking robert will help you if you're an outsider media center media person first of all i did not i did not lend my services because i was there working i was a professional it was up to the racetrack and whoever was she was there to shoot some promo stuff it was up to them to help her I'm just making an observation. That's all. An observation. Uh, hey, you're very you're very observant when you go to the racetrack router. That's what I like about you. You can always uh yeah, find sure, the good yeah, stuff. I'm sure Ben and, and Dustin helped her though, right? I mean they they yeah, jump ben in there Dustin and help her. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm sure they did. But she had she had plenty of help. There there was not a there was no shortage of volunteers, I can assure you. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I like to help people as Todd and you've all, all three have said, I love to help the outsiders when they come in because at the end of the day, we are representing our sport. We want to kind of put it into a good light. We don't want to be, you know, come off kind of dickish. Just help them. They ask questions. I know there might be some random tough questions maybe, and they don't really get it, but just got to fight through it and help them out because at the end of the day, we're great people. We're not snobs. Like Robert Holman said, so don't worry about that, Robert. We're not snobs, but as always, yeah, we're, we're not. Have... We're not. I, I'm, I'm trying yeah, to reassure I'm people we're not. I'm agreeing with you. So as always, we always end the show with one more thing, and I will let Todd go first. Okay, I've got. Um, we were working, wrapping up some of the schedules for our schedule page, and I noticed the September weekend, September 23rd, 24th, and 25th where three Pennsylvania tracks have gotten together to run three 5,000-to-win super late model shows. That's Thunder Mountain, um, Marion Center, and and uh, Dog Hollow. And that's a relative rarity these days. You know, almost everybody's attached to a series. Uh, it's rare that you get those independent races, especially in a collaboration with three tracks. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a a good weekend and, and, and a rare weekend these days. So good for those tracks uh, for putting that deal together. September 23rd, 24th, and 25th, uh, Friday through Sunday there in the fall. So uh, kind of a neat scheduling uh, thing I saw there. And I guarantee it, Chubb Frank is counting down the days for that event because those are three tracks close to home, plenty of laps. Chubb Zill is ready for that weekend, Todd. <laughs> Go Chubb. All right, I'm going to go next. My one more thing is, obviously, this weekend, the Illini 100. But I just want to give it a shout-out because it was the first Illinois race to up their pay. Obviously, the Prairie Classic's been there a long time, but it was always in Labor Day, only $10,000. Farmer City was the first track to say, you know what? 
we're going to attract the world of outlaws. And this is when the heydays of the Shane clan running it, Chubb, Josh Richards, run this big time series, uh, late March, early April. And the thing is, you know, had its ups and downs, but lately it's been having, it's going up on the upward spiral again. I just always kicks off racing in Illinois. It will have a special place in my heart because the first race, I think I was a junior in high school. Love the advent. Get to see the Illinois drivers for the first time, like Shane and Bab. Bobby Pierce raced in Arizona, but he'll be there. Frank Heck and Ask Juniors of the World. They're going to defend their turf. It's always a great, uh, exciting weekend, good racing. So if you're in the area, go to Farmer City for the Illini 100 because it's one of the uh, races that kicked off big pain, modern day uh, showcases and events in Illinois. Kovac, what do you got? I just, I just kind of, I was going to mention uh, Rick Eckert, actually, you know, that's what I was planning on. But then this one just hit me. I, I just realized that next, uh, next week we will be our 50th dirt reporters, right? I mean, we're, we're, this is number 49 this week, next week wow. we hit the big low. So, I mean, that's one whole year we've been going at it here. And uh, eh, I just wanted to say my, how time flies, I guess, 50th dirt reporters already. And, uh, uh, and I don't. Know, I think I think we we pretty much gone through the you know like the you know, we right at the beginning of end of March or at the beginning of April we started last year and and we've been uh, consistently on uh, every Tuesday pretty much uh, we've been doing this so it's been fun and uh, and now and now we hit number fifty next week we have a big party I guess right we're gonna have balloons and and everything for for hitting the five zero. Robert's gonna bring us a cake. What do you got for us for your one more thing? Uh, well, I'm going to be heading back to, to Bristol, uh, and just this is a, a little nugget that I had at, uh, at the bottom of my notes story that um, Dale McDowell, uh, Scott Bloomquist, and Earl Pearson Jr., who were in you know the feature, uh, both, both features uh, this past weekend, they're the only three drivers who were actually started the very first feature in 2000. Uh, at Bristol, so not only did I think that that was neat that we had three drivers there that were in the very very first one, you know, which kind of shows those guys' age, of course, but uh, but then pull out Scott Bloomquist from that list as the only driver to start all ten features at Bristol. Uh, so all basically all of them. So I'll I'll be looking. Uh, forward to getting back to Bristol this coming weekend to see if Scott Bloomquist can continue that uh, that streak a, and make it 12 starts at, at Bristol. And you never know, we might pick up a win. Uh, since I'm wearing a Bloomquist shirt today, you never know. I, I either jinxed him or brought him some tremendous amount of luck today. So, uh, But yeah, Bloomquist, the only driver to start, start every dirt late model race at Bristol, which is really pretty impressive if you think about and another note that I dug up along those same lines is that he broke a rear end in one of those prelim features in 2001 that I, that I was at. And he had to borrow, a, he was, I remember, once I read it, I remember it, he was walking up and down the infield, basically trying to find a race car to get in so he could start it. Cause at that time he was running for UDTRA points. So he needed to get in that, into that race. And he he wound up climbing in uh, Duke Wiesants. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, uh, but the, the Arkansas driver. Uh, and he, there's a connection there with Ronnie Stuckey. And I remember he climbed in that 
in that car, and you know Duke was a pretty short fella, and then Bloomquist's a big fella. They had to kind of move some stuff, and and I remember him saying that the steering wheel was hitting his stomach, and he couldn't. He was all cramped up in there, and but I that that's how he his worst finish is twenty first, and because it was driving Duke's car there, and and he was he was just uh, uh, not comfortable in it. So I thought that was that was one of the things that allowed him to start all 10 of these races. I thought that was a pretty interesting little nugget there. So we'll see if he can make it 12 this coming weekend. Speaking of bloomer, Robert, I have a $300 bet with somebody on social media that he'll at least get one win opening weekend. Does he have a shot to get a victory this season? He has a very good shot to win at Bristol. You know, uh, these tracks favor him. You know, they're, as long as the track is not really rough, uh, these tracks like this big, open, sweeping tracks that slick off, you got to think 50 laps at Bristol is like 100 at some of these other places. So, you know, it gives his car, you know, kind of time to come in and he gets better as the track goes on. I think he has a leg- – I said this last week – that he has a legitimate chance to win at Bristol, and he ran second. So I really do think he has a, a legit shot to win at Bristol, and if not at Bristol, some of these other big racetracks that they're going to go to. Yeah, I think you're. I honestly think that is your bet like uh, three hundred to get a win for the whole season. Yes. Oh yeah, I think I think you're safe there. I really do think that Scott Bloomquist will win at least one race this season. I think you're safe. Go, Bloomquist, go. I can't believe we're saying that. We're just hoping he gets one victory for the Hall of Famer in a whole season. So, Scott looking good off the gate. Runner-up finish at Bristol. But two more races there. We got the Illini 100. These three guys are going to be all over. Race wire, great stories. Robert will be at Bristol. It's going to be another great weekend. Make sure you tune in next week for the 50th birthday party. Kovac's going to have all the goods and treats for us. So, Uh, If you're not listening, make sure you tune in next week, and uh, thanks for joining us. 